Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permac. On today's show, a roller coaster day for big U.S. healthcare plans and why cities, not Congress, are the ones clipping big tech's wings. But first, sitting in the clouds. So we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about big tech companies, but almost all of that revolves around consumer-facing big tech companies like Facebook and Apple and Amazon. And sure, each of these giants also sell services to other businesses, but their main goal is to interact with us when we're not at work. But today, we're going to shift focus a bit and talk about enterprise software. These companies are beginning to have the same type of impact on us at work that the FANG companies have on us at home and are following similar sorts of trends, like moving to the cloud and moving to mobile, plus revised interfaces that make life easier for both IT folks and the rank and file. Plus, it's really big business. Salesforce, arguably the world's biggest pure enterprise software company, is valued at over $120 billion. Same for Adobe. Both Workday and ServiceNow have market caps higher than $40 billion, and that doesn't even account for the enterprise segments of Microsoft or Amazon. More importantly, the move into the cloud means these companies are somewhat more recession-proof than enterprise software companies of the past, when new clients would have to put up huge upfront money and sometimes even install big on-premises boxes. So this is software as a service, or SaaS, where contracts can be recurring and integration can be kept relatively simple. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with John Donahoe, president and CEO of ServiceNow. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. We're joined now by John Donahoe, president and CEO of ServiceNow. John, you've been at ServiceNow for around two years, and before that, obviously, ran eBay. Can you talk to me, what's the fundamental difference between being the CEO of a consumer tech company and a big enterprise tech company? They're actually more similar than dissimilar, I would say, because technology's changing our lives at home and now at work. So the last 10 years has been the era of the consumer mobile revolution, where the mobile devices that are now in our lives, more than cloud applications like an eBay and PayPal, completely transformed our lives at home and take what's complex in our personal lives and make it simple and easy and intuitive. But up to date, no one would ever describe technology at work as simple, easy, and intuitive. Technology at work is frustrating. It's complicated. And over the next 10 years, I believe if the last decade was the consumer mobile revolution, the next 10 years is going to be the revolution of the impact of technology at work. And you feel that's mobile as well, correct? That's what ServiceNow does. Two small examples. In your home life, let's take PayPal. PayPal has your money, and yet you can safely and securely reset your PayPal password in five seconds on your mobile device anywhere in the world. And yet, if you had to reset your email, work email password, what would you have to do, right? You'd have to call someone in IT. That makes no sense. And so technologies like ServiceNow enable you to have the same simple ability to, whether it's reset your password or have an employee onboarding experience happen completely on your mobile device, be simple, easy, and intuitive. So the same kind of experiences you have at home, you now can be able to have at work. 
a lot of consumer-facing tech companies or companies we view as consumer-facing tech companies have also gotten into the enterprise. So I'm curious how, and, and some of them almost do that as a technique, right? So Dropbox, which again is more consumer-facing, but they use that as their example, right? Somebody starts using Dropbox at home for their personal storage issues, and then they bring it to work and it eventually gets to the IT guy, and then it becomes the corporate solution internally. How do you guys view competing with kind of consumer internet companies that employees are basically bringing into the companies from home? Well, if you really look at what's happening in the enterprise or at work, every company around the world is embracing cloud. In fact, every company, every government, every educational institution, because it's cloud is the once-in-a-generation technology that allows you to provide a better user experience at a lower cost with more security and compliance. And if you look at who's emerging of the major enterprise platforms, it is Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, Adobe, maybe Office 365, maybe SAP if you have a supply chain, along with AWS Azure and Google Cloud. And those are the core fundamental platforms that are enabling that future of work. And ServiceNow within that is the digital workflow platform, which provides both digitizing IT experiences as well as all the cross-functional experiences such as employee onboarding and the entire end-to-end employee experience. Within that space, and, and, and you talk about those kind of those big companies, and some of which are Microsoft having kind of two of them, do you expect to see a lot of, not necessarily consolidation in terms of companies like yours and Microsoft, et cetera, buying relatively smaller competitors or upstarts, but do you expect to see large-scale consolidation, big M&A between maybe some of those players you mentioned? You know, Dan, not really. I'll just can speak for ServiceNow. Our, our aspiration is to build a great enduring company. We're a purpose-driven company, uh, and we're getting to a size and scale that, frankly, not many people in the world could afford to buy a service now. And I think the same thing's true with the Workday and the same thing's true with the Salesforce. And so I think what you're going to see is a category of companies that are the next generation winners or the next generation leaders, I should say, being major platforms. From your perspective, is Slack one of those cornerstone platform companies going forward or is it a tool? Oh, both. So we, we deeply integrate with Slack. Everybody does. So I'm, I'm wondering, do you view them as a company that will be an independent thing going forward, or do you think someone snaps them up? I can't predict the future of Slack, but I can say that I think it's a great platform. And so what we want to do is be able to embrace, if an engineer or an employee wants to access their ServiceNow experience through Slack, great. If they want to come straight to ServiceNow's great mobile app, great. They want to go to their laptop and access it through their laptop. If they want to use an Alexa, I was in Australia last week, Prince of Wales Hospital, and there you see patients, nurses, and doctors, in essence, accessing help through Alexa that was tied to the ServiceNow platform. And so I think however you access it, and Slack's one of those channels, I think there'll be multiple ways to access getting help in the enterprise. And so consumers will have choice and they'll use different vehicles or different access approaches for different issues. Your stock price has gone through the roof this year. And when I say, I don't mean the last 12 months just, but I mean literally since January 1st. You guys also aren't a profitable business and you're, you're hardly alone in that in the enterprise software, even consumer software space. There had been for years an idea that particularly mature companies, which services now, should show profits. You guys don't, traders don't seem to mind. Can you speak to how you view profitability in tech right now? What you really have to look at is what investors care about. And I think what we're focused on is, one, are we fully capitalizing on the opportunity? And so our growth rate, as you know, you know, we grew revenue 39% last year at reasonably significant scale. And we gave guidance of greater than 30% growth this year. So first and foremost, are we capitalizing on the opportunity as digital transformations in front of us through growth? 
We also are profitable in the sense of what investors look at is our cash flow. We're a very profitable company in the cash flow that we generate, and we talk about our cash flow margin of being between 20 and 30%, and you see that. And our operating margin's strong, too, of 20%. So what you're talking about is gap profitability, which simply is incorporating employee stock expense. And perversely, one of the things that a rising stock price does is it makes the employee stock price expense look larger in gap accounting. But we are a profitable entity and we generate very healthy cash. And that's one of the things that investors like, which is good revenue growth and good growth on the top line, as well as attractive cash flow. John, final question for you. The last time I saw you physically in person was years ago. You were still uh, CEO of eBay, and it was you on stage at a conference in Aspen with Brian Chesky, who you had helped mentor, the Airbnb CEO. If Brian asked you today, John, should, should I be bringing my company public in 2019? Your answer is? <laughs> Brian, it's your choice. That's not a good answer, John. I'm coming to you for help and advice. I know it's my choice. All right, fair you know, enough. I think, I think in the same thing, I would say, by the way, I think Stuart Butterfield's a fantastic entrepreneur as well. By the way, I- The Slack I, CEO, yeah. I learned as much from Brian as, as I, maybe I mentored Brian, and I learned a lot from Stuart in the same way about design. But I think each of these outstanding entrepreneurs has to figure out what's the right time to go public. They all will go public at some point. And when are they ready? Because it does change the life of a company once you're a public company. And there's some very positive benefits to that in that you get some capital. And the pressure, the external pressure to, to produce often helps someone in their execution capability because everyone in the company realizes there's a transparent scorecard. But you've got to find the right time. And I, you know, I'm not close enough to exactly where Airbnb is, but today, if they're ready. But I, I know Brian's a great leader and will make that as a wise choice. John Donahoe, President and CEO of ServiceNow. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. My final two, right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a mega merger announced this morning between Centene and WellCare, both U.S. healthcare plan operators that rely heavily on federal government sponsored plans. For Centene, a lot of that focus is on the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare marketplaces. And for WellCare, it's more about Medicaid. But both could be under threat by yesterday's news that the Trump administration is asking the courts to throw out all of the Affordable Care Act not just the pre-existing conditions part it previously objected to. If successful, that would threaten not only Centene's ACA business, of course, but also WellCare because the lawsuit would effectively kill Medicaid expansion. So Trump's move is a legal long shot, but it does mean that the ultimate success or failure of today's biggest M&A announcement will be determined more in the courtroom than in the boardroom. And finally, we've heard a lot lately from federal politicians about breaking up big tech companies, but Axios' David McCabe rightly points out this morning that much more common and more effective pushback is coming inside of cities. Things like the opposition to Amazon HQ2 in New York or similar opposition to a Google startup incubator in Berlin, Germany. The bottom line here is that big tech has built up an army of lobbyists to advocate for them in Washington, D.C., but only now realizes they need more of a grassroots style local activist capability. In other words, they got caught flat-footed. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national Joe Day. Yeah, and, and that counts any variant, like Joey or Joanna. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.